My name is Joe Hawkins, and this is the History of the Mormon Church in 50 Objects podcast. Welcome to another episode of History of the Mormon Church in 50 Objects. Today we're on episode 17, The Book of Commandments. If you want to engage in a completely fruitless task that'll make you question a lot about humans in general, go and open the calendar to U.S. National Days. It's amazing to me some of the national days we have invented. Just sticking with the month of January, let me read off a few. First off, National Hangover Day. Okay, that's after New Year's, so I can see that, but moving on... National Buffet Day, not sure how I didn't know about that one, adding it to my calendar right now. National Drinking Straw Day, National Whipped Cream Day, National Bobblehead Day, remember we're still in January here. National Static Electricity Day, National Step in the Puddle and Splash Your Friends Day, that won't work in January in Utah. National Rubber Ducky Day, National Dress Up Your Pet Day, National Cheese Lovers Day, and National Squirrel Appreciation Day. That is just a small portion of the entries, and it's just January. I'm saying January again because I just can't believe we're only in January. However, nestled in that list of days is National Handwriting Day on January 23rd, probably a day I could get behind. National Handwriting Day was started to reintroduce oneself to pen or pencil and a piece of paper. According to the Writing Instrument Manufacturers Association, it is a chance for all to re-explore the purity and power of handwriting. The date, January 23rd, was chosen because it was the birthday of one of the most famous signatures in U.S. history, John Hancock. I'm sure you know the story of John Hancock, but just to quickly recap, John Hancock and 55 men signed their names to the Declaration of Independence, causing King George to order his soldiers to find and execute them, putting an end to the foolish rebellion. Signing a name to the Declaration of Independence was dangerous. To sign the Declaration of Independence meant that the signers were living on borrowed time. But this was an important cause to John Hancock and the early signers. So important that they were willing to live on borrowed time just to show their dedication. What John Hancock and the signers had done was considered as high treason by the king. Now, the penalty for high treason was to be hanged by the head until unconscious, not dead, then cut down and revived, then disemboweled and beheaded, then cut into quarters. Each quarter was then to be boiled in oil. The remnants were scattered abroad so that the last resting place of the offender would remain forever unnamed, unhonored, and unknown. John Hancock was brave. He didn't just sign his name. His name was front and center and the largest signature on the document. That's why the name John Hancock is also a synonym for signing a signature in America. But maybe John Hancock signing his name to strongly confirm his belief was something of a family trait. A descendant of John Hancock's was living in Missouri in 1832. Joseph Smith and the brethren were looking for some of the men to step up and sign their names alongside Joseph Smith's printed revelations as a testimony of their truthfulness to the world. Men began to sign, and when the document came to Levi Hancock, a relative of John Hancock, of course, maybe due to the family name, his signature had to be different. 
probably by accident, but when Levi Hancock wrote his name alongside the others, he noticed that his signature was in pencil and not pen like everyone else. So Levi Hancock added a statement next to his name. He wrote, Never to be erased. A moving and poetic testament to his commitment to Mormonism. So what was the book to which he was attaching his name? Today's object is the Book of Commandments for the Mormon Church. So what is the Book of Commandments, and how did it come about? The Book of Commandments is the first published volume, published in 1833 and 1835, said to contain the majority of Joseph Smith's revelations recorded on paper. Throughout this podcast, I've referenced the Mormon Book of Scripture, the Doctrine and Covenants, Specific revelations from Joseph Smith found in the Doctrine and Covenants have been podcast episode objects such as the Law, the Kirtland Call to Gather, and the Articles of the Church of Christ. The Doctrine and Covenants is a later version of the Book of Commandments. Now, how did this all come about? First off, we should remember that even before the Church was organized, Joseph Smith had received a number of revelations. For example, the First Vision and specific callings to his father, brothers, and neighbors. We discussed a few of these in early episodes of this podcast. Early converts knew that Joseph Smith was receiving continued revelation from God, and they were eager to eat it all up. Different members began to copy his revelations for their own studies and history. Missionaries recorded them for help instructing converts and so on. Orson Pratt said regarding these revelations, quote, We often had access to the manuscripts of Revelations when boarding with the prophet, and it was our delight to read them over and over again, before they were printed, and so highly were they esteemed by us that we committed some to memory, and a few we copied for the purpose of reference in our absence on missions, and also to read them to the saints for their edification. These copies are still on our possession." So early Mormons started to make copies of the Revelations, but they weren't careful, and a lot of errors were made between copies. Well, the copies were copied, and the errors became pretty prevalent. So Joseph Smith and the brethren, realizing that it was important to have a standard, correct copy, were moved to print the Revelations. So on November 1st of 1831, Joseph Smith and a council of high priests, high priest being an office in the Mormon priesthood, made the official decision to publish the Revelations under the title Book of Commandments and voted to print 10,000 copies of the first edition. According to William McClellan, he, Oliver Cowdery, and possibly Sidney Rigdon had been appointed to write the preface to the Book of Commandments. However, when they presented their written preface to the Brethren at the conference, William McClellan stated that the Brethren picked it all to pieces. So all the Brethren then bowed in prayer and again, According to McClellan, Joseph received the revelation in the presence of everyone that was to be the preface. McClellan said that Joseph would deliver a few sentences and Sidney Rignan would write them down, then read them out loud, and if correct, then Joseph would proceed and deliver more sentences. And according to McClellan, by this process, the preface, or now Doctrine and Covenants section 1, was given. So it was concluded to print the revelations, they had the preface, Joseph Smith now wanted the brethren to provide their testimonies as to the divine origin of these revelations. Now, some of the brethren, however, were a little reluctant to do it. Disappointed, Joseph went to the Lord and received another revelation which would be included in the Book of Commandments, wherein Joseph Smith said the Lord provided a way where the brethren could determine if the revelations were indeed from God and would be willing to testify of that. 
This revelation is found in Doctrine and Covenants section 67, and it basically challenges the brethren to find what they considered the weakest revelation in terms of verbiage and see if they couldn't invent something that sounded better. So William McClellan, a professor, accepted the challenge, and according to the story, he toiled all night, and he couldn't one-up any of Joseph's revelations. Well, this seemed to be all the evidence the brethren needed, and they signed their names as testimonies of the book's authenticity. And now we've circled back to the portion about Levi Hancock. So, with everything ready, they now gathered in Independence, Missouri, where the Mormon Church's printing press was, and they prepared the documents for printing. Now, at this point, a lot of editing needed to take place on the Book of Commandments for a couple of reasons. First, there was no punctuation in any of the revelations, so they were all just written out by a scribe as Joseph Smith had dictated them. Second, some of the revelations had developed a bit. For example, new offices in the priesthood had been revealed, such as high priest, over the last few months, and that would need to be added to section 20. So they began to print portions of the Book of Commandments in the newspaper every week for almost a year. This made portions of the Book of Commandments available for general viewership, and also allowed them to work through some of the grammatical errors. Now, we've already covered what happened in Independence, Missouri in July of 1833. If you missed it, I recommend going back and listening to episode 14, Jackson County's Secret Constitution. At this point, the brethren were finalizing the print for the Book of Commandments, and then 400 to 500 angry locals formed a mob and broke into the printing press. As some Mormon men were tarred and feathered, the mob broke apart the press, they threw the pieces out the window, and they set fire to the documents and to the building. At this time, two young girls named Carolyn and Mary Elizabeth Rollins bravely ran into the house, scooped up handfuls of the revelations, and sprinted out into the cornfields. They were pursued by the mob, desperate to burn and destroy everything. The girls fell on the sheets of paper and hid in the cornfield for hours until the mob finally went home. They then returned the sheets of paper to W.W. Phelps, who, relieved that some of the copies of the Book of Commandments had made it, took the portions of the book that had survived the mob and printed the Book of Commandments. So, there were a lot of large road bumps in this printing process, but the book was finally done. So, where can you see a copy of the Book of Commandments now? Two years after the book was printed, Joseph Smith and the Brethren added more revelations to it as Joseph told the Brethren to record everything, as it would become the Doctrine and Covenants to the Church. That is where the current name, Doctrine and Covenants, came from. You can access the book at lds.org, or you can just buy one from just about any bookstore. I should tell you that the book is initially hard to read. It's not like the Bible or the Book of Mormon that tells a historical narrative with gospel teachings and revelations interwoven into the text. The Doctrine and Covenants are straight revelations that Joseph Smith said to have dictated directly from the Lord. So they don't read like a typical story, and they require context to understand what they are talking about. For example, take Doctrine and Covenants section 66. When read straight through, it seems like an odd revelation. However, the story behind that revelation is that when William McClellan was investigating the church and Joseph Smith, he said he kneeled up in his room and told God that he had five questions that he wanted answered. Later, he approached Joseph Smith and petitioned him for a revelation. Joseph received a revelation and it was recorded, and it is Doctrine and Covenants section 66. In it, William McClellan was so moved because he said it answered all five of his questions completely. Even after he fell away from the church in later years, 
McClellan stated that he still considered this revelation an evidence of Joseph's prophetic calling, which, he said, I cannot refute. So, how did the Mormons receive the Book of Commandments, and how did they use the Doctrine and Covenants today? Mormons consider the Doctrine and Covenants sacred scripture, in the same canon as the Bible and the Book of Mormon. However, the Doctrine and Covenants are especially precious to them as they contain modern-day revelations. I'll finish with a story. At the beginning of the 19th century, Reed Smoot, who was a member of the Mormon Church's Quorum of the Twelve Apostles at that time, was elected to be a United States Senator. This received a lot of pushback, and the Senate would refuse to seat Senator Smoot. After four years of hearings, Senator Smoot was finally given his seat. The counsel for those who opposed to seating him, Robert W. Taylor, made the following statement on the floor of the Senate. He said, Several hundred thousand sincere men and women believe, as they believe in their own existence, that Joseph Smith received revelation direct from God. And if anyone ever believed that, we must assume that Senator Smoot believes that, because he was an apostle. Now, a senator of the United States might believe anything else in the world but that. He might believe in polygamy. He might believe that murder was commendable. He might believe in the sacrifice of human life. He might believe in no god or a thousand gods. He might be Jew or Gentile. He might believe the world began last year and would end next year. But to believe with the kind of condition that Reed Smoot possesses that God speaks to him or may speak to him is to admit by that same logic of his conviction that there is a superior authority with whom here and now he may converse and whose command he can no more refuse to obey than he can will himself not to think. Now, here's the important part. Robert Taylor then explained that in every step of conflict in Mormon church history, from New York to Missouri to Ohio to Illinois, Revelation was one of the primary causes of problems. Taylor said Revelation caused Mormons to follow what they felt God wanted them to do. Taylor here makes some slanderous exaggerations, but he was right about one thing. Mormons believe in continued revelation, and it certainly does set them apart from other churches. So, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode on the Book of Commandments. As always, if you have feedback, you can reach out to me directly at joe, H-O-M-C, historyofmormonchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please feel free to share it on social media or write me an iTunes review. It goes a long way. Thanks again for listening.